Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. May we take in these difficult words and in our time together today, open our hearts to seeing in a new way. May God come by here now for us who need to hear your word, to feel your love in our hearts and reflect your light in the world. Whew. Being called a sinner, double-minded, it's kind of one of the texts that we don't really want to talk. It's not about, not in the lectionary. Um, and it definitely brings back memories from growing up in the Pentecostal church when I was younger, hearing some of this language. But it seems like a little bit the discourse in the world right now. Um, we seem to be fighting with each other. We're not hearing each other. We're pointing out the errors of each other and judging each other, but we're not listening to each other. Maybe I'm judging by saying that, but I think there's something going on in a world that might need God's presence. James calls us to humble ourselves before God, not to judge our neighbors. But there's also a call in this text to lament, to mourning. And I think that's something that maybe we need to do that we haven't given ourselves permission to do. This has been a rough time. The world is on fire. There's three years of a pandemic, ecological climate crisis. There's economic collapse, potentially. I mean, what new thing is going to be unleashed upon the earth that we have to make our new normal? I don't know if I can pivot anymore. If I do, I will be doing a pirouette or a triple axle and carve a hole in thin ice we are all skating on and fall in. <laughs> so <laughs> this is the thing. I don't know if what we're doing is working. I don't think I can think my way out of this. I don't know if any of us can think our way out of this. And maybe what James is calling us to do is to mourn, to grieve, to give up, and finally accept the reality that it kind of sucks right now. And we need God to come here now like this beautiful refrain that we have heard from this tradition of oppressed peoples, Black people in the United States. A song of invocation for God's presence here now. Jesus talks about this throughout his ministry. Metanoia, big mind. Our minds don't have the full picture. We like to think we do. This is the thing, but we need to humble ourselves before God is what James is reminding us to do. Because when we think we have the full picture, guess what? There's no room for God to come in. And as Jesus always likes to remind us, that how can we judge the splint in another's eye and not see the log in our own? And that's why we need the bigger picture, the big mind, the repentance to open up and really only by letting go can we do that. So what does it mean to humble ourselves before God? When I talk about today as World Social Justice Day, I can't help but think of this concept of original sin. Now, we don't really like this concept of original sin in progressive theology, but I think it is useful. But let me tell you how. I agree with Sarah McLaughlin that we are all born innocent, <laughs> but we falter sometimes. If you're a fan of her, you'll know the lyric. Um, 
But if we're all born innocent, what is original sin? Maybe it is the world we are inheriting. Maybe it is the system that we begin to be trained in from the early age when our loving selves are met up against these societal structures, what some might call cis, hetero, white patriarchy, what you might call anthropocentrism or white supremacy, these things that tend to say that one way is better than another way. This way of being in the world that lifts some people up but pushes others down. And in terms of anthropocentrism, it says that we humans have dominion over everything. But what about the earth? The earth has been speaking up a lot more lately, and I don't think she likes the way we've been treating her. So if original sin is maybe not us, but the systems we have inherited through being born into this world, we come back to this text of James. What is he saying when he says to be in love with the world means we are against God? Maybe that's what it's about. If we, we are made in the image of our creator and we are creative beings made to create. But when we create unskillfully, when we have splints in our eyes, we create an image that is a representation based on the information that comes through our senses and we project that reality onto the world, onto others. I mean, I've done this. You may have probably done this too. You might have known somebody in your past who's hurt you and you carry around this image of that person in your mind. Oh. And then you might run into them on the streets. And guess what? That picture that you're carrying up in your mind, you put that over top of them. We see what we want to see. But God continues to hold the bigger picture, the bigger story, the more beautiful world on the other side of perception. Coming back to this concept of original sin, there were two competing philosophical ideas early on in the um, Greek uh, Mediterranean basin. There was this concept of ex nihilo nihil fit, which means you can't make nothing out of nothing. But what kind of won over was this competing doctrine of creatio, creatio ex nihilo, that God made something out of nothing. But I have to question if we think that God made something out of nothing, is that possible? If God is all there is, then how could God make something out of nothing? God would have had to make something out of God's self. So logically, ex nihilo nihil fit, you can't make nothing out of nothing. Seems to make more sense to me. But okay, what's all this philosophical talk? What are the implications? Well, the implication is, if we believe that all of God's creation was made out of nothing and not out of God's self, we have desacralized the world. We have desacralized incarnation. And for us Christians, the moment where Christ was embodied brought divinity back into the world, and we were forgiven. And that's one story, that we left the garden, that we lost our innocence. But there's another story that is held up in our indigenous communities, that we never left the garden. We never lost our innocence. So, the very Reverend Stan McKay, the very first 
indigenous moderator of United Church, who's a Nieha person, and he made a comparison noticing the animism of ancient Hebrews and the animism of the beliefs of the Cree people. If you look at Genesis, the creation story, every day is God creates a creature. The heavens, the earth, those aren't just empty things devoid of spirit. They are creatures upon which we depend for survival. Indigenous people like Neha, like Stan McKay's people recognize this. And he called for an inclusive and a holistic approach that tried to see the sacredness of all things. So when we come back to humbling ourselves before God, what does it mean then if God's in everything? That means we need to humble ourselves before all of the teachers before us. Teachers that we may not think are teachers. We're used to getting our information from maybe somebody who's ordained. But what about a child who hasn't been taught the beauty of life by the smile of an innocent baby? Who hasn't been taught something by walking in the woods or by listening to the sounds of a creek? Humble yourselves before God. If we go around thinking that we know everything, we will never be receptive to seeing what God is trying to show us through all of God's creation, God's people, God's earth. So I want to show you all a video. And um, before I set it up, though, um, I want to share a little uh, saying. Irshad Manji, she's the founder of the Moral Courage College with Oxford. She's been a guest here at Hillhurst. And... Um, one of the things that she says about justice, as this is World Social Justice Day, is how do we do justice that works for all of us, not justice for just us? She points out that real diversity and inclusion, which is a part of our spirit at Hillhurst, is not just the inclusion of different gender, sexuality, uh, skin color, or uh, ethnicity, it is also the inclusion and of diversity of worldview, of point of view, of way of thinking, of being. God's world includes all. And so that means that maybe doing social justice that we've been doing, I don't know if it works. We're going to talk about it. I want you to check out this video. Fair warning, it is an advertisement for beer. But if beer's not your thing, just imagine they're drinking tea or a hot cocoa, maybe an apple juice. And um, check it out. We're going to chat about this. I would describe my political views as the new right. I'd say that I'm left. Feminism today is man-hating. I would describe myself as a feminist 100%. I don't believe that climate change exists. We're not taking enough action on climate change. I think it's about time these people got off the high horse and started looking for credible problems that actually exist. It's absolutely critical that trans people have their own voice. That's not right. You can't, you know, you're, you're a man, be a man, or you're a female, be a female. Women do need to remember that we need you to have our children. Could I be friends with someone that says a woman's place is in the home? Um. <laughs> Right, okay, well, I'm an expert at flat packs. If you have any trouble, just watch me. 
So it looks like I've got your instructions here. I think so. Let me help you. It's not just that bit there. Describe what it is like to be you in five adjectives. Okay. Frustrating. Dedicated. Opinionated. Lucky. Ambitious. Offensive. Solemn. I have ups and downs. Strong. I want to say attacked. Misunderstood. Name three things you and I have in common. We're both male, we're both confident, and we're both loudly spoken. We know each other better than people who've known each other for ten minutes should. You seem quite ambitious and positive and you've got this really, um, got a glow. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Your aura is pretty cool. I'm sensing. Are you, uh, former military or something? People have said that, but there is no, really? there is no history. So are you then? Ex. Ex-military? Um, yeah. If you're ex-military, I'm very proud of you already. Well... So... I grew up, uh, in a bit of a rough state. I've experienced homelessness. I've known what it's like to have absolutely nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm... Definitely most grateful just just for life. We've only just met, but I think you're the sort of person that would listen to me and we'd have a discussion rather than argue. Yeah, you could hang out with man. Let's go. My chance. Goodness sake. You're right, mate. Fitter than a look. Perfect. Oh yeah. There you go. So basically, I think we just bought a bar. Yeah. Okay. Here. <laughs> Each take a bottle and place it on its corresponding markings on the bar. Attention, please now stand to watch a short film. Feminism today is definitely an excuse for misandry, man-hating. If somebody said to me that climate change is destroying the world, then I'd say that is total piffle. So transgender, it is very odd. We're not set up to understand or see things like that. I am. A daughter, a wife. I am transgender. I feel like the battle for feminism definitely isn't done. The fight is never going to be over, if I'm honest with you. You now have a choice. You may go or you can stay and discuss your differences over a beer. I'm only joking. <laughs> you happy for a second, then? Well, I'm having a drink. I'm having a drink. Yeah. I want to discuss. Beer. Yeah, beer and discuss. Cheers. At the end of the day, mate. About I've reaching out to people, with you. yeah. And, you know, even if you wanted to convince people about your point, the productive thing to do would be to sit it's down engaged. and It's engaged. It's engaged. I've been brought up in a way where everything's black and white. But life isn't black and white. Yeah, I'm just me. Yeah. <laughs> Smash the patriarchy. <laughs> I'll give you my mobile number, you give me yours, uh -huh. and we'll keep in touch. I'd have to tell my girlfriend that I'll be texting another girl. <laughs> she might be a bit upset with that, but I'll have to get round there. I'll have to tell my girl that she'll have to lump it. <laughs> Look at that. When we build something together, when we find our common values, we realise that what connects us is stronger than what divides us. Yashad Manji also says, social justice is about learning to seek first common ground while we stand our ground. It doesn't mean that we have to give up our beliefs or values, but it means that we need, in order to get across this divide, to be willing to listen, 
Because we're not going to be heard unless we're first willing to listen. And I think that's something that's kind of going on right now with social media. I'm curious how many of you out there have, you know, had a loved one or someone you know post something on social media. Maybe you snoozed them. Maybe you unfollowed them. Maybe you unfriended them. Maybe you even had a conversation with somebody whose beliefs agreed with yours about that person, about how could they think that way? (laughs) I've done it. That's why I'm pointing the finger at myself. And I'm wondering, though, how many of us have picked up the phone and called that person and invited them for a coffee or a beer or a walk. I'm guilty of it. But maybe there's a chance we can do better. And I want to share with you how we maybe wrestle and can wrestle through this together. So, oh, I want to throw in a funny joke. I don't want to blame this all on social media, but there is something about these algorithms. And when Joanne was here a while ago, she said algorithm, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the best drag name. But if algorithm is a drag persona, they need to sashay away now because we need some real connection and community, not reducing our interaction to memes and emotional responses. I think, you know, evolutionarily, we probably spent more of our history in tight communities, in trees, picking gnats out of each other's hair than we did reducing our thoughts and feelings into 144 characters and trying to have a discourse that way. So this is what I'm wrestling with, and I want to share a personal story. I've been going through a difficult time this last couple of years because my partner and me are on different sides of how we should approach moving through this pandemic. It has caused a lot of personal stress on both of us, and there's times where we didn't think we would make it. And the other day, he posted something on social media, and I got up, and I read it, and I was angry. Silent treatment. Then the huge fight. Then I lost my voice. But then we talked to each other. And we realized I was just mad about my projection, my idea. And if I was willing to listen to what he had to say, I realized we actually had a lot in common. And these are just really difficult, unprecedented times. But the issue is, is that on both sides, we seem to be calling each other monsters. And that kind of shuts down the conversation when we say, you're this, or you're this. So here's a proposal. What if instead of holding up a mirror that reflected the monster? Because that says you're bad. And that uses shame as a tool to transform. But shame does not work. It just shuts down. We keep seeing it. That's why we're in the state we're in. What if instead we hold up a mirror that says, I see the Christ in you. You're a beloved child of God in whom God is well pleased. And so am I. And maybe the way you're thinking needs to get ironed out. Maybe the pain that you're in that is making you act out isn't who you are. 
But if we keep degrading each other into monsters, we will never find our humanity. Audre Lorde, a queer feminist poet, said, the master's house cannot be dismantled with the master's tools. The tools of shame and oppression and silencing and canceling and othering is what we have used to silence oppressed people. But in our movements to liberate, to bring equality, we can't use those tools. The tools we have to use are the opposite, our inclusion, our like Michelle Obama says, when they go low, we go high. And I can already hear your complaints. Well, why is the onus always on us to make the first phone call? Why is it always on the press person to try and take the higher road? Well, Jesus calls us to do it. <laughs> That's why Jesus sat down with the sinners and the tax collectors and had a long table. Now, the thing is, there are people who are, believe in monstrous things and have done monstrous things. And that shouldn't be the position of the person who has been victimized or bullied to try and have those conversations. But maybe if you're closer to that person, that's where allyship comes in and you can have those conversations. This is what Jesus meant when take up my yoke because my yoke is light. If we all share the work, nobody oppressed has to shoulder the burden. So, there is a saying, a Sufi saying, that you polish the mirror of the heart. Cleaning the lens, removing the splints, the logs, reflecting back and seeing the divinity through this original sin to the original innocence. That might be really hard to do. What about the people who have Nazi flags out? Everything is done out of, everything in this world is either done out of love or out of the need for love's presence. And the people who are waving flags like that are crying out for God's presence to come by here now. And the only way God's coming is through us by being the light of love in the world. That is how we see through a mirror dimly and polish that mirror of our heart. That is how we get closer to the fullness of the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, a radical kinship of harmony where we are not trying to control or conform, but instead where we all belong and we find a way through the difficult wrestling on how to be together in this world. I want to close with some beautiful words by Thomas Merton. He writes, As long as we are on earth, the love that unites us will bring us suffering by our very contact with one another, because this love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. Even saints cannot live on this earth without some anguish, without some pain at the differences that come between them. Thomas Merton, who said that the only way forward is to endure the pain of reunion, that we cannot cure disunion 
by annihilating those who are not united with us. Hatred seeks peace by the elimination of everybody else but ourselves. But love, by its acceptance of the pain of reunion, begins to heal all wounds. And it is the very essence of Christianity, he says, to face suffering and death, not because they are good, not because they have meaning, but because the resurrection of Christ robbed them of their meaning. And so, friends, the light of Christ lives eternally in all of us. Let us reflect that light into the world. Let us see Christ in one another and hold us accountable to do better until we know better, until the kingdom of heaven just brims over the edges of the world we've created in its place. May it be so. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.